The Outside World is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. Do you want to go to Bedlam? You want to go to Dallas for the Big 12 championship game? You've got game time. The game time app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Download the game time app in the Google Play or App Store and score last minute tickets up to 60% off. It's not about what the outside world thinks, it's about what does. You know, what do you have in that room? And the best man wins, and you give everybody a shot at it. The outside world doesn't see the summer workout on a Monday morning. They don't see that progress, but, but we as coaches do. Well, regardless of what the outside world thinks, we, we believe a lot in our defense. Another episode of The Outside World starts right now. I'm John Hayes. You can follow me on Twitter, at John Hayes on air. You can follow my co-host as well, Jason Kersey, the Oklahoma beat writer for The Athletic, at Jason Kersey. We're here on a special day for you to celebrate the Sooners All-Decade team. You'll see it's a blitz across the athletic college football today and across the athletic on all different verticals, NBA, NFL football. All this week during Thanksgiving week, you can remember the 2010s on the athletic. Jason uh, this has been a an interesting project, to say the least. Um, definitely includes some nostalgia. Um, did you have fun looking back at the last 10 years in Norman? Yeah, I, I did. I mean, this is a decade I'm very familiar with. I mean, I've uh, you know been a follower of OU football my entire life from where I grew up and, and, you know, and everything like that. But, I mean, I've been on the beat for most of this decade. Um, you know, I, I wasn't the first two years of the decade and there were a couple of years there, um, when I was on my little sec sabbatical. Um, but I've, I've spent a lot of time following this team and I've been intimately, you know, close to it. I would say the last, you know, especially this decade, uh, for my time covering it. So it was fun. It was, it was nostalgic and, um, and, uh, it was, it was a lot of fun to try to, you know, pick out the best moments, the best games. And that was, that was honestly the hardest part was, was, you know, deciding what to leave out of this thing. You know, because this is a, a standalone new episode, um, I feel like we may have some new listeners. So I just want to give them the heads up uh, that uh, Jason, uh, his his writing is phenomenal. Uh, his Sooners coverage is, is the best in the country. And all you have to do is go to theathletic.com slash the outside world to sign up and join The Athletic for 40% off uh, your annual subscription. And you can get all that content uh, on the Sooners from Jason and, and any other team you might be interested in um, here in the U.S. or across the pond in the U.K. Um, if you're an English Premier League soccer fan, uh, we've got a bunch of podcasts coming down the road um, talking uh, a bunch of uh, big clubs in the U.K. as well. Uh, make sure you sign up for The Athletic. It, it's worth every penny. I promise you that. I, I work for the company, Jason, The Athletic, and I still uh, keep my subscription that I had before working for the company. That's how much I, I love it. Yeah, well, that, that's uh, that's good. I mean, I, I actually have a subscription I pay for as well, so uh, I, I think that it's I think it's entirely worth it too. And we're not just saying that. No, we're <laughs> we're absolutely not. So I wanted to to point out some some numbers that that you wrote in regards to uh, 
the last decade, 2010 to 2020 um, in Norman. And let's start with six Big 12 championships. That's pretty strong, to, to say the least. Uh, the decade began with, with conference realignment drama. Man, time flies. Um, that feels like it was just yesterday. You know, would the Sooners abandon the Big 12 and, and create a mega Pac-16 conference? Um, but it ends with, with the Big 12 in a relatively stable place. Jason, could you have said that? Uh, you think back in the day when you were covering all that realignment conversation that here we are at the end of 2019 and the Big 12 is maybe as strong as it's ever been? No, I I, I think everyone sort of thought the Big 12 was, was getting ready to implode. And whether OU was going to go into the Pac-16 uh, that that was being sort of dreamt up um, by Larry Scott, or you know, or whether they were going to end up in the Big Ten, which I think, you know, in some ways was David Boren's former OU president David Boren's dream of of getting them into into the same uh, league as as maybe a you know Northwestern and and uh, some schools like that. Um, I, I definitely thought the Big Twelve was toast. I think everybody did. I mean, how how could you not? I mean, you you, you had them lose, uh, you know, a couple of their banner programs, especially Nebraska. I mean, when Nebraska left, um, you know, it, it seemed pretty dire. Um, and then you know you lose Texas A and M, uh, which you know is had had only won the Big Twelve once, but but still was a pretty pretty big program within the within the league i mean you basically in the early 2000s you saw or pardon me in the early 2010s you saw texas uh run a lot of people out of the conference and uh the, the now the the league is relatively stable it still is at 10 that's the other thing is i would have thought that if the league had survived that at least they would get back to 12 but they haven't managed to do that so and i, and I don't know if they even want to you know, Jason, since the college football playoffs inception in 2014, which clearly was a monumental moment for not only the Sooners, um, but for college football in general, this decade is, is it will always be remembered from, from going um, from the BCS era to the college football playoff era. The Sooners have been included in the f- 14 field three times, uh, but have failed to reach the championship game. Do you think looking back, um, that will be – viewed as a success or a failure well getting to the playoff is a success and there's there's no doubt about that but um i think the thing about this decade that will be that people will be frustrated by when they think back on it is is that ou has still not won a national title and i mean you can make the case that maybe the decade before was even more frustrating because they played in three national ti- played in four national title games and and lost the last three of them um, I mean, we're if OU doesn't win the national championship this year, which you know is is very up in the air whether they'll even make the playoff field, then we're talking about almost we're talking about going nearly two decades without a national championship in Norman, which would be uh, the longest they've gone in a long time without one. Um, I mean, we're we're now officially at at a greater distance between the 2000 national championship and today than we were between Switzer's last national title and Bob Stoops one national title. So I think that's one thing that, that will, that will be seen as sort of frustrating. I mean, because when you, when you look back at some of these years, um, you know, 2000, uh, 2011, OU started number one and was number one. And then, uh, had a, had a really bad loss at home to Texas tech, got blown out by Oklahoma state, 
uh, lost to Robert Griffin and Baylor. You um, you saw 2000, uh, 2015, they get to the playoff, get beat pretty pretty handily by Clemson in the, uh, in the Orange Bowl. 2017 is probably the season that people will be the most frustrated by when they think back on because that team was absolutely good enough to win the national title um, if the defense had just been a tiny little bit better. Um, you know, to, they could have beaten Georgia and I think they would have beaten Alabama that year in the national championship game. So there's a lot of those what ifs uh, spread throughout the decade. It would have been nice to get at least one of those semifinal victories. I think oh for three looking back over a 10 year span. Yes, you're happy that you get in, but I think as this playoff era continues and remember we're in the infancy stages of this playoff era, I think that as we look back, I think playoff wins will matter. And I think when you start looking at coaches and resumes 10, 20, 30 years down the line from today, success within the playoff um, is going to help your legacy. I don't think national championships will be the end-all, be-all. Clearly, that's what every program wants. But, but Jason, the way this sport is trending is that there is a very small group of programs that can actually achieve a, a national championships. And don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. Oklahoma is one of them. But... Getting to the playoff and winning a playoff game um, is, is, in my mind, is, is that next step down on the ladder. You know, forget about the conference championship games. Forget about other bowl games. New Year's six wins. They're all well and good. But if you're able to get into the playoff and win a game and get to the national championship, I think that, uh, as history um, will look back on it, is, is important. So I look at those, those three appearances and I see no wins – and I say I raise an eyebrow and I say to myself, hmm, there's an Oklahoma program that got in, but but maybe didn't prove that they should have been there. Well, in again, in in, in two of the three years, absolutely. Um, to 2015, you know, that that was a one that was the year where, um, you know, while Clemson was was pretty handily beating. Uh, OU in the Orange Bowl, uh, Alabama just blew the doors off of Michigan State. Um, and in 2018, last year, you saw the same thing sort of happen where Clemson beat, beat Notre Dame uh, very handily while Alabama took care of OU. I mean, I think you're right. I mean, you are you look at the, at the way this playoff has gone just across the board – there have not been very many close playoff games. There just haven't. I mean, most of a lot of these are ending up where you. It's pretty clear who the top two teams are, and so um, again, OU should have had one. They should have beat Georgia. I think just about anybody would agree that OU should have won that game. They had that game well in hand and just blew it in the second half. So that again, I think that's the season that you really look back on and think, you know, damn, they 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 very well could have won the national title that year. Uh, I will never forget where I was uh, during that Rose Bowl game. Uh, I love the Rose Bowl game. That was was one of my favorite Rose Bowl games of all time. And I was, by the way, backing the Sooners in that matchup. I felt good at halftime, and they they certainly let that one get away. Uh, One more thing I did want to mention about the, the last decade, and it's an important thing to point out, is... Um, the 2010 saw Bob Stoops hire Lincoln Riley and pass the torch to him after only two seasons. Uh, what did you make of that whole situation? You were covering it. Clearly a legend in Bob Stoops uh, stepping away from the game uh, at an early age. 
compared to some of the other great coaches in college football. Take me back to that moment, Jason, when you learned that Bob Stoops was was no longer going to be the head coach of the Oklahoma Sooners. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's the moment. that That's the defining moment of the decade, uh, without a doubt, because uh, – and so much led up to it. I mean, to go back just for a moment, I mean – you have to remember that in order to get Lincoln Riley, Bob Stoops had to fire Josh Heupel, who is his one national championship quarterback. Um, you know, and Bob Stoops has called, uh, you know, in his recent book uh, referred to him as, as if not the most talented player he ever recruited, definitely the most important because uh, Josh Heupel coming in as a junior college transfer in 1999 uh, helped set the stage for, for that 2000 national title. And so, um, you know, but Josh Heupel was not working out as OC. It, it, you know, the offense had clearly stagnated, and he needed to change. Um, and, and he brings in Lincoln Riley. And 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 the other thing I'll always sort of think, and I don't know that Josh would ever admit this or would ever say this because he's been very hesitant to even talk about OU, is that you know I I always sort of felt like Josh thought that he was going to be the uh, a head coach at OU someday. And uh, not only did he get fired by the coach that that he played for and worked for for all those years. He, the guy who replaced him is the one who ended up being Bob Stoops successor. I think that's sort of a, uh, you know, one of those things that's, that's probably a little bit sad and probably still rubs Josh the wrong way in, in some ways. But, um, but, but it was still though that series of decisions was so consequential. I mean, uh, you know, when Lincoln Riley came in, OU was all of a sudden a national championship contender again, and they hadn't been in several years. Really, since Sam Bradford, they hadn't been a national championship contender, and all of a sudden they were again. And and then after two years, Bob Stoops had seen enough; he felt comfortable handing it over. And that and that's something that you just don't see anywhere else. I mean, so often when you see a coach hand over a program to somebody, it doesn't it it, it very rarely works out. You know, um, a lot of times it's a you know father son handoff, and those are often disastrous. Um, but you know, it was just so smooth. It happened in the middle of the summer, which was sort of weird and and uh, you know, un unlike most of these other situations, it happened in the middle of the summer. It was extremely smooth. OU didn't miss a beat. They've continued to go to the. Pl- I mean, they've been to the playoff uh, in both of Lincoln Riley's two full seasons as head coach, and uh, there's a good chance that uh, that they'll end up in the playoff this year too. I mean, it's. Might be a little bit of a rough road, but but they're not there yet. But they could end up getting there. So I think that was that was extremely uh, consequential. You just do not see uh, smooth transitions of power like that um, ever in in college football. Really, it's very difficult to do, especially when you have have a great coach. Sometimes we've we've seen transitions happen uh, very well between a coach that's that's down and out. And a new guy come in and really pick things up, but but a lot of times, when the when the program's really cooking and and, and going well, um, when somebody leaves, I'm thinking about Florida State as an example. Uh, Jason, you know, Jimbo Fisher is a guy that that won a national title at Florida State, had him in the BCS national championship game in 2013, had a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback, wins the national title, and his exit was was not a good one. And Florida State is still trying to pick up the pieces of the post-Jimbo Fisher era. And we saw that with the firing of Willie Taggart. Uh, We don't know who the head coach is going to be at Florida State. Oklahoma um, seemed to avoid 
a situation like that, and, and I think that will be remembered in history, especially if Lincoln Riley does go on to win a national championship. And, and it seems like Lincoln Riley has this team set up for success um, into the 2020s, which is pretty fun to say that the 2020s are just, just around the corner. I just I wanted to point out one more thing. You, you talked about Josh Heupel getting fired. What about Mike Stoops? Yeah, I mean, well, that's another one. I mean, and in the piece that the decade review piece that I that I pub that you know I that will publish, um, you know, I write about how I, I sort of lump those two firings together, Josh Heupel and Mike Stoops. Now they happened, um, you know, four four years apart from each other, I think. Um, but those are two guys who were played such integral roles in the building of what this program is today. Mike Stoops was uh, was the defensive coordinator in the early 2000s uh, on the national championship team in 2000 uh, you know and on those other great defensive teams uh, 2001 two and three uh, and then Josh Heupel was obviously the quarterback that won the national title so uh, it was it was sort of a uh, you know parting with the past a little bit when when both of those decisions were made and for Lincoln firing his mentor's brother I mean it was really quite unbelievable that it happened i mean even if we all knew it probably needed to happen after the 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 day after they were just uh completely gashed on defense by texas and uh it was a really amazing uh i say amazing that that's not probably the right word it was a it was a striking uh thing that that uh lincoln riley made the decision that he made and here's the truth though it was the right decision, just like Bob Stoops firing Josh Heupel was the right decision. Alex Grinch has not totally fixed this defense yet, but they are a lot better than they were last year. Mike Stoops had uh, it, it was just time. It was time for everyone to move on, and I'm not. That's not to say Mike is a bad coach or you know isn't a smart guy or any of those things, but um, it was it was just time. He had lost that locker room. He'd lost those players, and Alex Grinch. Um, has has uh, reinjected some life into that, so it's uh, it's it's really really interesting that you know you know two of the people who are maybe most responsible for what OU football is today had to get fired in order for them to take the next step. You know, as we're doing this podcast and, and recording this, uh, I'm starting to to take a step back and realize how how fun this project actually is, especially during the season. Uh, we get caught up in our, our weekly regiment. We get caught up in, in results on Saturday. And a lot of times you don't get a chance to take a step back and, and, and take a view from, from 30,000 feet. And, and this is fun. Uh, and, and one thing, Jason, that you've done is, is put together an all-decade team as well on both offense and defense. Um, that project, after seeing your roster, um, I know it, it must have taken you some time. Uh, you talk about making the playoffs three different times um, during a decade, and, and you realize that there's a lot of great players that have been um, through the program. Uh, so I want to start at quarterback uh, in regards to your all-decade offense. Uh, was this a difficult decision for you? Um, clearly there's two Heisman Trophy winners, uh, but one of those Heisman Trophy winners spent a little bit more time at OU. No, it really wasn't a difficult decision, honestly. I mean, Kyler Murray may have had the best season, uh, the best individual season, but Baker Mayfield did it for three years. I mean, he was a Heisman finalist twice. He was a uh, very nearly a Heisman finalist uh, a third time in 2015. Uh, and it's not just that. It's all, you know, I, I also think that it's what he did for the program. Baker Mayfield showed up out of nowhere, um, 
walked on and along with Lincoln Riley transformed that offense. So you, um, Oh, you needed a a dose of someone like Baker Mayfield, Uh, his passion, his, his, um, his, you know, swagger, all of those things, uh, him and Lincoln Riley showed up in the same year. And when those two guys, um, uh, well, they, they didn't show up in the same year. That's wrong. Sorry. Uh, Mayfield showed up a year before, but couldn't play. He had to sit out a year. So they were both making their impact in the same year. And, and, and I think what Mayfield did for the program as a whole um, elevates him uh, in addition to his numbers over three years. It's not Kyler's fault that Baker was there for three years, but uh, I, I really feel like it's a no-brainer. I mean, Landry Jones had the stats, but he did not have the um, the the big wins, the, 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 the accolades, all those things. And then really it comes down between Baker and Kyler. And to me, it's not even really a contest. What is, <laughs> what is Jason, when you look back at Baker Mayfield's career, what is the, the standout moment for you? Oh, you know, there are just so many. Um, I mean, I think about, his performance in 2017 in the Bedlam game. I think about his performance 2016 in Texas Tech, the, the Mayfield-Mahomes game. Um, but the the game that I will always come back to, uh, well, I mean, and heck, I think about uh, planting the flag at Ohio State. That's, that's my that, number one, by the way. Um, but that, that it's not mine. My, my number one Mayfield um, moment or game is 2015 in Knoxville, Tennessee. And it was his, uh, I think it was his second start, second or third start of his, of his OU career. OU was getting just completely shut down Tennessee. And this, this wasn't a bad Tennessee team. And they were winning 17 to three Tennessee at the end of the third quarter. OU couldn't do anything. Uh, the TV announcers were speculating that, Oh, you might go to Trevor Knight. Um, and then in the fourth quarter, Mayfield just lifted that entire team on his shoulders and led them and rallied them back. There was one play in that game where he was scrambling and broke like five tackles in that on one play, and then completed a pass to Sterling Shepard. I mean, uh, that that and and really that was sort of the beginning of the Riley Mayfield era in my mind. Is that Tennessee comeback? It was when we saw how tough Baker Mayfield what it was. It was when we saw how good of a play caller Lincoln Riley could be. It was in that game. And so I know that the, the image everyone has is going to be the, the flag plant. And, uh, and I understand that. And I wouldn't even really be able to argue too much with that. It's just for me, what he did at Tennessee is what sort of set the program on the trajectory that they ended up on. Uh, that they're still on today was that that one in Knoxville, because if they lose that game, if they end up getting beat by three touchdowns or something in Knoxville, I'm not sure how that rest of that season goes. Uh, It's I'm really, really glad that you pointed out that game at Tennessee because Jason, for me, I was at the sec network um, working and following Butch Jones's career at Tennessee. And, and thinking back from my perspective, you know, the Sooners are, are trailing 17 to three after three quarters and, Butch Jones uh, can starts, I should say, his downward trend, and that is losing football games and not being able to manage games in the fourth quarter. And 
Baker Mayfield uh, really helped put Butch Jones out of a job the way I see it. That was a deflating loss for a Tennessee program that was trying. And and there was a point during this 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 last decade where Tennessee was on the brink. The recruiting classes were coming in hot and heavy. Butch Jones was recruiting top 10 classes, Jason. Don't forget that. Don't forget that about Tennessee during this decade. And there was some hype around that program, some big time hype. And Baker Mayfield went in there as a relative unknown because uh, he's a guy that really hadn't accomplished all of his greatness yet, um, like you mentioned. And that was a, a coming out party. That's a, that's a, that's a fun memory. Would, would you make Baker Mayfield your player of the decade? Oh, no, no question about it. He, he's the player of the decade, again, not just for what he uh, not, not just for what he did in terms of stats and accolades, but in terms of what he did for the Oklahoma football program. And I agree with you. I mean, I, I think I said this earlier this year, right around the time, I think I tweeted it during the when Tennessee was getting uh, beat by Georgia State. Was it Georgia State that beat them? Georgia yeah, Georgia State. State. Yep. Um, is that Baker Mayfield broke Tennessee football? <laughs> and uh, and I, I still think he did. I mean, that game sent those two programs in, in diametrically different directions. Unbelievable. And, and, and who, who else did you consider as a player of the decade, by the way? Honestly, no one else. He's the player of the decade, and I, I never gave even remote consideration to anyone else. I mean, uh, you know, during the summer, uh, you know, this is this is the 125th anniversary. This is the 125th season of o- Oklahoma football, and uh, during the summer, this last summer, um, my former colleague and my former outlet, the Oklahoman Barry Trammell, uh, published a uh, list ranking, I think, the 125 greatest players in OU history. And he had Baker Mayfield number one. And, um, you know, I think I know a lot about OU football. Barry Trammell knows way more than I, than I, uh, than I do. Barry Trammell's forgotten more than I know. And so if he has Baker Mayfield as number one, then how could I put anybody else as number one on the all decade team? You know, probably the worst thing to happen to, to Baker Mayfield in, in the 2010s is, when he grabbed his crotch at Kansas? Oh no, I'm a big fan of that. Don't worry about that. That's not, the guy's. It's competition. He's in the heat of the moment. I don't blame him for that. It doesn't bother me. I, that was, I, yeah, yeah. I was just joking. <laughs> doesn't bother me at all. You know what it was? It was being drafted number one overall to the Cleveland Browns. Well, you know, couldn't really help that, but. <laughs> Man, what a yeah! I mean, I, any other team, but I will say this: any other franchise, but I, any other franchise, I think his NFL career would be in a very different place right now if he was with any other franchise. I really do. Maybe so, but I, I said it at the time, and I and even though the Brown season has not gone remotely how they thought it was going to go, I I will still say this: if anyone can turn that franchise into a winner, it's going to be Baker Mayfield. Definitely not going to be Freddie Kitchens. And if and, and if and if and if Baker Mayfield can't do it, then literally no one can. <laughs> Go ahead and move him again. Move him somewhere else. You know, do. We'll, we'll see. And and I, I, I he's he's one of those polarizing figures. Baker Mayfield is uh, in the NFL, and I'm following his career closely with the Cleveland Browns. I know you are. I know Sooners fans are as well. We'll see what happens. Uh, he's got a great offense around around him. I don't know if. I don't know if things are going to work out there with Freddie Kitchens as their head coach, 
but we will see. Sometimes, Jason, your your shelf life in the NFL is is very short. So I think Baker Mayfield is going to be under the microscope in the next couple of years to figure out if he is going to be the Cleveland Browns franchise quarterback. And if not, it might actually be best for his career to move on to another team and and get away from the the dumpster fire that is Jimmy Haslam and the Cleveland Browns. I want to go over the rest of your offensive and, oh, and, and, team. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to, you mentioned Jimmy Haslam and I just have to say that, isn't it funny that he ruined Tennessee and then he ends up playing for Jimmy Haslam. I, I just, I've always found that somewhat amusing. Oh, absolutely. I bet you Jimmy Haslam and the Browns circled Baker Mayfield on their draft board after that night game in Knoxville. Hey, that's a, it's a kid with some moxie. Got to circle him and see if he's going to be our quarterback of the, of the future. And, Baker's just another name on that long list of Browns quarterbacks that, that really haven't had success. So um, I never wish ill will on anyone. So um, as this as we continue uh, the 2010s, got about a month to go, and we roll into 2020, which will be a, a massive year. The Roaring Twenties, Jason, they're back. Uh, I always thought that would be <laughs> a uh, – and I think there will be plenty of, of themed New Year's Eve parties this year. Uh, Roaring Twenties themed New Year's Eve party sounds like a pretty good time. I love it. I, I I absolutely love it. That sounds that sounds like a blast. So let's go over the rec, rest of your all decade team on the offensive side of the football. Do you mind just picking up here? And I I, oh. I only want to talk in depth oh. about one player on each side. So do you, do you mind just like running through your list? Yeah, oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Do you want me to to say name the name everybody? Or? Yes. Just go straight down the list, and I'll follow up on a few guys afterwards. All right. <clears throat> Sorry about that. No, no, you're good. You're good. That's why I said this was going to be a little bit more stop and start than normal. All right. Three, two, one. Yeah, so on offense, you know, Mayfield at quarterback, we've already talked about. Uh, running back, Samaj P. Ryan. Um, I know there's probably going to be some debate about that, um, but Samaj P. Ryan holds the NCAA single-game rushing record and uh, is OU's all-time leading rusher on a, in a program that includes Joe Washington uh, Billy Sims, Billy Vessels, Steve Owens, etc. Um, H back Dimitri Flowers. Uh, this this one was a tough one, and we can get into that a little bit later. Um, whether to include an H back or a tight end, I went with H back. Um, the wide receivers: Ryan Broyles, D.D. Westbrook, and C.D. Lamb. C.D. Lamb has played his way onto this list this season. Uh, offensive line: Center Gabe Eichard. Uh, he was an All American. Uh, offensive tackles, Orlando Brown and Daryl Williams. Uh, Daryl Williams still with the Carolina Panthers. Guards, I got Ben Powers and Drew Samia. Drew Samia was a four-year starter. Um, on the defensive side, that was a little bit tougher because the defense hasn't been very good for most of this decade. So uh, this is if this isn't a super impressive uh, list to any of you, that's just reflective of the way OU played defense for most of this decade. But there are still a lot of good players. Defensive ends, Frank Alexander and Charles Tapper. Uh, defensive tackle Jordan Phillips, linebackers Jordan Evans, Dominique Alexander, and Eric Stryker. Safeties Quentin Carter, uh, who's all American, and Ahmad Thomas. Nickelback Tony Jefferson, corners Aaron Colvin and Zach Sanchez. And then on special teams, kicker Austin Seibert, although probably could have put him uh, at punter as well, but uh, kicker Austin Seibert, all, Big 12's all time leading scorer. Punter Tress Way. Uh, kick returner Joe Mixon. That was my sneaky way of getting Joe Mixon onto the team after I put P. Ryan as the running back. Um, 
but Joe Mixon was a very, very good kick returner. And punt returner Jalen Saunders, who uh, made some really nice uh, punt returns. He was also a very good receiver, but um, made made some big impact plays in the, in the punt return game. So I want to start at the wide receiver position and look back at, you mentioned Ryan, Ryan Broyles, C.D. Lamb, D.D. Westbrook. Um, assuming C.D. Lamb was the third man in, who did you have to kick out to, to make room for the current uh, sooner wide receiver who is just turning heads every time he's on the football field? Yeah, I hated to do it. It was Sterling Shepard, um, you know, because I actually did this all decade team uh, over the summer. I actually did an all decade team, which made this part actually pretty easy, except for this one thing. Uh, the only thing I really had to change was uh, swapping out Ceedee Lamb for uh, Sterling Shepard. And Sterling Shepard was a great player, uh, a great four year player for OU, um, who who made a lot of amazing plays. Um, but I just could not overlook what C.D. Lamb has done. I couldn't kick Ryan Broyles off because he left school as the NCAA's all-time receptions leader, and I couldn't kick D.D. Westbrook off because he won the Bolitnikoff so, and was a Heisman finalist. So somebody had to go, and unfortunately it had to be Sterling. I, I hated it. An embarrassment of riches for Oklahoma at the wide receiver position. Uh, and when you think back about the offense and, and what really stood out, and, and, and especially now under Lincoln Riley, the ability to spread the field and, and deliver the ball to the, your athletes in space. And I think Baker Mayfield, uh, the player of the decade, uh, he's somebody who benefited a lot from, from all these, these big-time receivers. What was the recruiting like at the wide receiver position um, at Oklahoma? Do you think these guys have basically um, set up a pipeline uh, for Lincoln Riley to go up and uh, put these names down on a piece of paper and say, hey, do you want to become like these guys? Yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely happened. I mean, OU signed three five-star receivers last year, um, three in the same class. Wow. I mean, that never happens. No. So uh, absolutely, absolutely um, uh, that that's going on. Now, what's interesting, though, is, you know, g- going back to the earlier part of the decade, wide receiver recruiting really wasn't um, – wasn't all that great uh it's part of the reason jay norvell was fired at the same time josh heupel was is because he was missing out on a lot of his top targets and ended up with a bunch of guys that weren't as good i mean sterling shepherd signed under jay norvell but sterling shepherd's was an ou legacy who was always going to play at ou there was never any question about that because of his dad um Kenny Stills uh was a guy who who was really good in the early part of the decade and has carved out a really nice NFL career for himself, um, but certainly didn't have the numbers of these other guys. But I mean, really, other than Kenny Stills and Sterling Shepard, it it took until, uh, you know, and and Ryan Broyles, it it really took until Lincoln Riley arrived for for this receiver thing to become what it is today. I mean, they they certainly had some great players and and there's no doubt about that. But, um, but man, it's sort of taken off to another level now. And C.D. Lamb, uh, is is one of the most unbelievable players I've ever seen. You decided to go with Dimitri Flowers at H-back instead of maybe a Mark Andrews at the tight end position. How did you come to that decision? That was the hardest thing about putting this team together, honestly, was uh, was leaving Mark Andrews off. And, um, I, I know that a lot of people aren't going to like that. I mean, Mark Andrews was a national award winner. He's a John Mackey award winner, was an All-American. And uh, I understand there are going to be a lot of people that hear this and read this and think that this was a ridiculous oversight. And uh, But I do want people to know that I gave it a lot of thought. The reason that I did what I did is because the H-back position has been so vital to OU's offensive success. They, they don't put up many stats. Um, but what they do, the versatility 
the ability to sort of move from place to place on the field so that the personnel can stay the same and the offense can move fast, uh, the blocking, all of those things uh, you know, matter so much to the OU offense that I felt like you had to have an H-back on. If you have an H-back on, um, that puts you at 11, and I am firmly anti any all-anything football team that includes 12, 13, 14 players. I think that's ridiculous. I think the idea of these things should be if you put this team on the field together and you can't do that with more than 11. And so um, I fully recognize there are going to be a lot of people pissed off about this or disagree with me, and I will own that. But I, I, I had to make a cut somewhere. I couldn't leave off an offensive lineman. Uh, I couldn't leave off a running back or quarterback. Uh, I had to put those three wide receivers on there. And so where does that leave me? And it leaves me with, unfortunately, having to leave Mark Andrews off. And I absolutely hated it. I hated it so much. Um, but I stand by it. Is there anybody else that you, unfortunately, had to leave off that hit the cutting room floor um, right before this um, podcast or before the article posted? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the offensive line was a little bit tough. I mean, it was, uh, you know, you could make a case for Ty Darlington at center. Um uh, you you could uh, I, I think Gabe Eichard uh, I feel pretty solid about that I think Creed Humphrey what he's done uh, the last two years uh, you could even possibly make the case for Creed Humphrey but I, I really liked um, leaving Gabe Eichard there um, you know there have been a number of other offensive linemen that have been really good players Cody Ford and Bobby Evans were both really good players um, that that you could have made a case for a receiver again Sterling Shepard like we already talked about Kenny Stills. Um, uh, was was an excellent wide receiver. I mean, I, I think that. Um, so I mean, there's there's just a lot of guys. And then on defense, I mean, defense wasn't wasn't quite as hard. I mean, there were still some guys that that I would have liked to have included. Um, you know, uh, Obo Okwankwo. Um, God, I almost I almost totally butchered his name. I think I got it right. It's been a while since I've had to say that. Um, well done. <laughs> he uh, he was a guy that I that I. Uh, thought about including but ended up uh leaving off um you know and and then the other thing was current defensive players it was really kind of became a question of has kenneth murray and neville gallimore done enough this season to make up for other seasons and get on uh the all-decade team and ultimately uh after the kansas state and iowa state games i sort of decided to to stick with what i had it's it's certainly a good lineup, and one guy that unfortunately could not make the list was Gerald McCoy. He just missed the cutoff, huh? Just missed it by one by year. By one year. Yep. I, I was looking to see if uh, that twenty nine uh, two thousand nine uh, team played um, in twenty ten in their bowl game. Uh, they played in the Sun Bowl that year on. December 31st, believe it or not. So he was one day away from being a possible player this decade, but they wrapped things up on December 31st, 2009 against number 19 Stanford in the Sun Bowl, a 31-27 to win over Stanford in that Sun Bowl. That was uh, Gerald McCoy's final game as a Sooner. Against Toby Gerhardt. Really? That is a Toby Gerhardt season, isn't it? Wow. Yep. I think he was a Heisman finalist that Certainly. year. Certainly, yeah. I mean, that's that's why I know Toby Gerhardt. Um, yep. A lot of people argue that uh, maybe he should have won the award that season. That was Mark Ingram's season, yep. right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know, he was pretty good too, but I, I, I definitely 
think you could make the case for Toby Garrett. Actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna say one other thing. We're getting way off track here, but it's still fun to talk about. That year, the guy who should have won the Heisman is Indominus Sue. I will go to my grave saying that. Indominus Sue should have won the Heisman in 2009. Fair. Well, yeah, you, you you don't you don't think about defensive players very often, and we've been thinking about one this year, Chase Young. Um, he's somebody that that people considered, um, and Jonathan Allen and uh, a couple defenders from Bama over the last couple of years, Quinton Williams last year at Bama. Um, some guys have been circled, and it, and it seems like defensive linemen really are the only players on the defensive side of the football that have a chance at the Heisman because of the sack. I think is the only defensive statistic um, that can can add up to equal maybe a a chunk offensive play um, on the other side of the football. I mean, honestly, you can think of like, like an interception too, but when's like a cornerback is not going to have 12, 15 interceptions in a season. That would be absolutely absurd. Um, I think there's a chance for, for someone like that, like a, a Charles Woodson type player um, who wants to play special teams as well. Um, but without playing special teams, if I think D-line is probably the only place that you could win it on defense. Well, I mean, Manti Teo came pretty close this decade. Did he come close, or was he just a product of playing linebacker for an undefeated Notre Dame team? I don't know. I mean, he was the Heisman runner-up. I mean, that's that's the highest anyone's finished on defense in a long time. So um, I voted for him that year and then was proven spectacularly wrong in the bowl game. So <laughs> it's a fun memory. <laughs> Manti Teo, you can't you – can't, you can't uh, talk about Manti without thinking about um, his former girlfriend, R.I.P. Uh, yeah, such a sad tragedy. I appreciate y'all listening to this episode of, of The Outside World, a special all-decade edition. Um, I hope you had a good, ch- a good time thinking back um, about this Sooners program and reliving maybe some of your favorite moments. I don't know if maybe you went to school during – the 2010s and you look back at your college experience. I don't know if you had maybe a child in school and you, you went back to Norman to, to relive some of these moments or remember where you were watching on TV. You know, there's certain games that'll pop up and highlights that I see where all of a sudden there's just some neuron Jason that triggers in my mind, man. I can barely remember what I did last week, but when I'm watching a football game or I see a highlight, all of a sudden I remember exactly where I was during that football game. Does that ever happen to you? Oh, all the time, all the time especially for games. I mean, really for me, that's more for the previous decade when I was in college and when I was in high school and, and, uh, you know, going to games, uh, more as a fan, but, um, but yeah, absolutely. I want to close the pod. I do. And I, and I want to ask you to predict the future because as, as, as fun as it's been looking back, I do want to look ahead. The 2020s just around the corner, Lincoln Riley has this Oklahoma football team in in a really, really good spot for sustained success. Um, How do you project the next 10 years for the Sooners? Well, I mean, I I think it's, it's so hard to, to do that, you know, accurately, but I mean, I, I, I think that um, the way that he's recruited and the, the things that he's done, uh, sort of taking uh, taking the next step in some areas recruiting wise in terms of the creative things that they do, 
he's a much more active recruiter, I think, than Bob Stoops was near the end of his uh, tenure. And so uh, I, I think that he's setting them up nicely roster-wise to to be uh, to remain one of the elite programs in the country. I mean, I think the big question everybody's going to have, and the big question I have, is how long is Lincoln Riley going to be at Oklahoma? I mean, I, I think he'll be. I think he'll be here for another few years. I do think that. Uh, there's a good chance eventually the NFL itch is there and he decides to take that leap. Uh, I don't see him leaving for another college job, at least not anytime soon. Um, I guess what I would say is I don't think that Lincoln Riley is going to be the head coach at Oklahoma for 20 years or 18 years like Bob Stoops was. I, I because, And that's not because I think Lincoln Riley hates Oklahoma or because he you know, is going to get unhappy. I just think it's because coaches don't do that. They just don't do that. And uh, Lincoln Riley uh, or Bob Stoops did, and I, I, you know, I think that it would be it'd be great for Oklahoma if they could have that kind of consistency over forty years. <laughs> but I just don't, I, I don't anticipate that that will be the case um, because that's just not how college football works. But um, I think it'll all depend on on uh, you know who's the head coach. If if Lincoln Riley remains head coach, I think they'll be in great shape. If he if he leaves and hands the program off to someone else, um, it'll you know if, can he do it in as smooth a way as Bob Stoops did? Uh, I don't know that 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 just doesn't happen very often. Well, asking you to look at the next ten years, I know it's a tough tough thing to do, and no one expects you to be accurate. But I think that you've got a good finger on the pulse to to know what the direction of this program is, and and that's an interesting perspective to say the least. I mean, Lincoln Riley is a guy that uh, his name will be mentioned, and how Oklahoma. Uh, deals with his name being mentioned for jobs in the NFL, for for possible openings in the SEC down the road. Uh, we'll see. And but more of a short term uh, question would be: Who starts the season, the 2020 season? Who starts the next season at quarterback? Who is after Jalen? It's been quite the run. Baker, Kyler, Jalen. Who's got next? Uh, um, probably Spencer Rattler. I mean, I think Tanner Mordecai is going to have a shot, but I mean, Spencer Rattler is is a next level elite five star talent that is sort of waiting in the wings. Um, I think that you know, if Spencer Rattler had come last spring, I think he would have had a a, a, a decent shot to, to win that job. I think Jalen was probably always going to win it, but I think Rattler, you know, if he'd had the spring, might have had a, sh- a better shot at it. Um, I, I just think that he's he's the guy. Lincoln Riley started recruiting him when he was a freshman or sophomore in high school. Uh, this is the guy Lincoln Riley's been itching to coach and play with for a long time. And so m- my guess is that it'll be Spencer Rattler. He's Jason Kersey. He is the foremost authority on Oklahoma football. And you can get all of his work, including his writing and his subscriber-only podcast that will drop tomorrow on Wednesday, previewing Bedlam, Oklahoma, at Oklahoma State. Uh, A huge rivalry game. That episode will be available tomorrow exclusively for athletic subscribers. And to subscribe for 40% off your annual subscription, just go to theathletic.com slash theoutsideworld. Do that and... You'll get all the subscriber-only episodes. You'll get all of Jason's written work as well as coverage for any other professional or college team that you might be interested in. It's less than a latte a month for ad-free coverage 
of your Oklahoma Sooners and, as I mentioned, any other professional or collegiate team you might be interested in. Jason, did you have a good time today doing that, looking back and and being nostalgic about Sooner teams of the past? Uh, College football, one of the coolest things to me about college football is the history and the nostalgia. And so, yeah, so absolutely. Until next time, I'm John Hayes. You follow me on Twitter, at John Hayes on air. And you can follow Jason at Jason Kersey. And everybody enjoy the holiday. Uh, We're thankful for you uh, for listening to the show. And if you're thankful for us, you can do us a big favor. And you can subscribe, rate, and review the show. Tell us what you like. Make some suggestions. And we'll be back for more on The Outside World. It's not about what the outside world thinks. It's about what does, you know, what do you have in that room? And the best man wins and you give everybody a shot at it. The outside world doesn't see the summer workout on a Monday morning. They don't see that progress. But but we as coaches do. Well, regardless of what the outside world thinks, we, we believe a lot in our defense.